There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. We are back. It's the World Soccer Talk podcast, the only podcast that focuses on watching soccer on TV, online, and apps. In episode 113, we discuss whether U.S. soccer is trying to undermine CONCACAF again, the details on the Women's World Cup TV schedule, what the heck is going on with Fox and the Bundesliga, Sky Sports News is back on U.S. television, whether NBC Sports is becoming complacent with their EPL coverage, plus letters from you, the listeners, in our mailbag section. My name is Christopher Harris, a.k.a. The Gaffer, and I'm joined today by my co-host, Kartik Krishnayar. Kartik, uh, how are you doing? I'm doing okay, Chris. Uh, how about you? I'm doing well. Doing well. I uh, haven't gotten any, any of these colds or flus or uh, stomach bugs. There's a lot of stuff going around, I know that, but um, that's one of the advantages of uh, working from my home office is uh, not going into, in with a workforce when I'm getting sick. But uh, how about you? you hanging in there? Yes, I am. Thank you. And uh, now you've got me worried. I, I think I better take my <laughs> vitamin C pill before I go into the office today. <laughs> All right, Kartik. Well, look, let's start off with uh, what we've been watching. And um, let's go back old school. And, and uh, what's been your highlight from the past week? I think probably the Manchester United-Liverpool match. I thought it was a, a, a really good match, well-played match. Obviously, you had a lot of injuries. I heard some speculation. Um, John Bruin was talking about on the Guardian podcast that they put uh, garlic on the pitch at Old Trafford and was speculating as to whether that um, <laughs> that causes some, caused some of the injuries. I mean, we had four, four first-half injury subs, uh, and Marcus Rashford was clearly injured as well. I, but Manchester United already used all three of their subs. But I thought it was a really good tactical match. I thought the... Um, the, the, look, I've complained about the Premier League being too much about entertainment. People, particularly in this country, confusing a lot of goal scoring and a lot of uh, uh, midfield giveaways and defensive errors for, for, for good football. I, I don't think the Premier League has been very good this season. This match I thought was very good. I thought Manchester United uh, played a good tactical match. The only thing you can question about Solskjaer is why put on uh, Lingard, when Mata got injured, knowing Lingard is coming off an injury, uh, I think that tells you how far down the pecking order Alexis Sanchez has fallen, if, yep. if you want uh, a, a greater interpretation about that. And, and Sanchez was forced to start midweek with, uh, with Mata unavailable and Lingard unavailable. So, uh, But uh, I thought it was a, just an, a very entertaining match. If you like tactics, if you like um, – the, the, the feeling that a single goal, a single mistake can be decisive in a title race or in a race for fourth place, which is the way the Premier League once upon a time was and hasn't been recently. So uh, I really enjoyed that match. I thought the commentary from uh, from the three man booth of NBC was, was was pretty good. Um, I um, well, I know we're going to get into the NBC studio in a few minutes, so yeah. we'll, we'll, I'll save I'll save uh, for that. The other, you know, real outstanding matches of the week for me were both on Sunday also the uh, um, the, the League Cup final which was on ESPN Plus and, and the Kepa Madness and then obviously uh, the Dortmund uh, uh, Leverkusen match which was on FS2 I know we're going to get into that also yep. uh, and that was one of the, the, the uh, big matches of the Bundesliga season but of course it was on FS2 so for me, the Man United Liverpool match was something that I, I, I loved the energy and the just the the full on soccer that this game was. Um, 
like you said too, it kind of harked back to the good old days of the Premier League. Or, or oh, to the and old let First me mention, Division. sorry, Chris, uh, I forgot to mention the Old Trafford crowd. I don't think they've been that into a match that I can recall in several years. I mean, the crowd just really had that old uh, Fergie-esque Man United yep. Old Trafford feel. Yeah, and part of it too was uh, probably going back to just the minutes applause before the match started. Uh, minutes applause for Eric Harrison, one of the former youth coaches at Manchester United, somebody that uh, has helped bring th- bring up and bring through a lot of the star players at United. And the minutes applause during the min- minutes applause, the Liverpool fans started uh, chanting, you know, Liverpool or whatever Liverpool uh, songs or chants. Uh, which got the crowd really upset. So then the Man United fans started booing, and then it all kicked off in terms of, of the match itself. I was surprised that Arlo didn't even mention that. It was kind of like, okay, either he didn't want to say it or wasn't paying attention or, or what, I, I don't know. But in terms of the atmosphere, it was fantastic. I, I thought the match itself, Kartik, I was disappointed with the technical aspect of it. Uh, just Liverpool had so many opportunities, but uh, Salah had had a bad game. I mean, it was just a lot of just, I mean, poor crosses, poor passes, especially in the final third. Just really um, poor execution there in terms of the chances that uh, Liverpool especially had. But then again, I would say that this match was... Uh, I, I've criticised the Premier League for many, many years now in terms of de- de- defensive displays. But Manchester United in this match were defensively absolutely out of this world just did a fan like a bang up job in terms of defending and i thought uh, that was rare to see so it was i enjoyed the match it was full-on non-stop you mean helter skelter uh but yeah i just was disappointed at the end product in terms of um i was expecting something kind of a barcelona-esque or, or real madrid real madrid-esque kind of just something just some beauty, some just something out of out of the world in terms of uh, in cre- creative uh, goal or opportunity, and it, and it didn't transpire. The the one thing I would say, Kartik, in terms of um, the commentary, so I, I did enjoy the Ola White, Lee Dixon, Graham Lasso commentary. The only thing I did not like, and this is typical Arlo, is the game kicks off, and within the first couple of seconds, he says. Gents, if you were to pick out one element of this game about where it's going uh, to be won or lost for those of us who who are just joining us, what would it be? Now that's a, that's a that's a good question for like a an interview sit down kind of. Uh, you mean they spend like five minutes uh, with uh, Graham Lasso and, and Lee Dixon finding out about uh, the tactical insight before a game or in the studio? That'd be the perfect place for this. But the thing is, is that anyone who watched this game, within the first 10 seconds, Liverpool almost scored. So Arlo asks a question, and he had to interrupt himself and start commentating the game. And out of all the games in the Premier League, the one game that you can, you can guarantee is going to be helter-skelter from minute one to minute 90, it always is, uh, where you don't, you're not having, going to have an opportunity to ask big questions like that, big open-ended questions. This is the game, and he did it. And I was like, come on, Arlo, you're better than that. Kartik, any thoughts on that one? Um, it, it's just, we, I think we've, we've beaten this dead horse to death for, we've beaten this horse to death for a number of years. Uh, I've actually clocked at the times uh, how, how long it takes Arlo White to bring his, his co-commentators in, and, and sometimes it's, it's more than 10 seconds. A lot of times it's more than 10 seconds. It's 40 seconds. It's 50 seconds. I remember a, a match, I think it was two seasons ago, where it was a minute and 10 seconds uh, that, that I clocked. So, um what, what? Look, I mean, I guess maybe I've just got, gotten desensitized to it now, and I, 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 it's not my preferred commentary style. Uh, we've gotten pushed back when we've criticized him, and uh, I guess there, there are a lot of people who like that. I, I, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And, and, and he's a good commentator overall. He's not my favorite by any means. Um, what I did enjoy from the commentary was uh, the build-up to the game. So as the, as the teams are walking out onto the pitch... Uh, silence from Arlo, Lee and Graham and, and just let the atm- atmosphere soak in of the Old Trafford crowd and the Liverpool supporters just chanting um, that was great and that was uh, that, I mean that, that, that was better than any, any, any words you could say that, that let, let the, the pictures and the, uh, the audio do the story telling for you but um, but yeah, overall, I, I enjoyed the game, the Chelsea Man City game, uh, Kevin Keaton's uh, commentating this one um, good commentary. The one thing I noticed about this game, Kartik, and uh, is—I mean, I'm sure you saw it too—is that within the first, like, what, 
two seconds of this game, um, when the cameras, well, basically it was Jorginho, went in with a forearm uh, on Aguero, knocked him down to the ground. And the thing is, is with VAR, VAR is only good if the cameras actually catch an incident. So if something happens off camera and the referee misses it, um, VAR is useless. And this is exactly what happens, is that no one is, was expecting to see this uh, happen. It happened. And all we saw was kind of a kind of a top-down camera view of what happened and enough, not enough to go on for the VAR official, which was, I think, Martin Atkinson, to go ahead and actually, um, I guess, officiate on, on, on that decision. And the game moved on. And we never actually saw a close-up of, of how, how, uh, how, how close it was to you know, whether it hit him in the face or hit, hit him in the neck. Uh, but I thought that was interesting. Yeah, I thought that was very interesting also. I mean, I, on this match, I have to say I was disappointed. ESPN, they didn't, because it was on ESPN+, Plus. they didn't do a pregame show, no post-match show, uh, no halftime show using e- the ESPN FC team or one or two of the ESPN FC team. Now, they had done that in the past when they had shown League Cup matches on uh on regular television. So I, that I was disappointed about. I mean, it was very, um, hey, let's just flip on the stream and stream it uh, type thing, which, uh, look, I understand they've made the decision, programming decision, to put uh, all these cup competitions behind the paywall on ESPN+. Plus. I'm okay with that. I know other people are really disappointed about it. I know a Chelsea fan who was very upset that they had to uh, uh, that they had to watch this uh, on, on uh, uh, behind the paywall, this uh, final, this cup final. Mm-hmm. But... Um, if you're going to do that, at least give some uh, semblance of, of, of bumper programming, some semblance that's a big occasion, and, and they didn't do that. So I'm disappointed by that. I'm yep. surprised by it, quite frankly. Yeah, I, and I'm sure – I mean, they have the talent. They have the people on staff who could easily do that. So it's just a – I mean, I don't know if it's a cost-cutting decision or just that they're not quite ready for that yet. Um, we've mentioned on this podcast a couple of times that um, – Max Bredos kind of hinted that uh, for the FA Cup coverage is that they're planning on something. Uh, it hasn't happened yet, and you know, we're into, what, the quarterfinals uh, of that competition. So I guess we'll have to wait and see. But, but yeah, it was disappointing because the other thing, too, is that with ESPN+, Plus, the one thing I don't like about ESPN+, Plus is that uh, if you go into the app um, like a few minutes before the game starts, so this one started at 11.30 Eastern time, if you go in at, say, 11.20 and go to it, it'll just say um, the broadcast hasn't started yet. Yeah, yeah, and and yeah. I, leave, I leave that screen on because thinking, okay, as soon as it's 11.25, it'll automatically come on. It doesn't. I have to actually exit out and then go back in and at 11.25 or thereafter uh, go to that game and, and then it comes on. So, yeah, it, 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 we're not asking from us. It, it, it could be five to ten minutes of pregame five to ten minutes of halftime and maybe five minutes of post-match. Uh, but for the big occasions, li- like a League Cup final, um, we expect it. We expect some, some type of analysis. And, and I think, uh, yeah, that's definitely a weak point of ESPN+. Now, Kartik, about NBC's coverage, um, this past week, so, so the last probably two months I've been so focused on travel soccer with my kids um, running around each weekend and uh, catching a Premier League match here and there uh, watching a lot of it on highlights and and, um, and basically not being able to inundate myself and just kind of submerge myself uh, on a Premier League weekend and watch watch coverage to coverage uh, and I did this past weekend um, my kids luckily enough didn't have any tournaments or uh, games this weekend and so Saturday I watched the Spurs Burnley game um, and then continued through the day, watched most of the matches of that of that day. So this is the first time actually with NBCSN. I've had a chance to sit down on the Premier League mornings, uh, probably for a couple of months again, just to actually watch the coverage. A couple of things jumped out at me. One is, is that um, in many ways, the coverage has become more sensationalized and more focused on the big clubs than ever before. Uh, in the past, I know this is going back a, like a year ago when Swansea was in the Premier League. Um, I could actually, I mean, I Swansea being a small team, uh, not one of the big ones by any means, but be able to kind of listen to the commentary, listen to their analysis, and get a good judge of whether or not they're paying attention to the smaller clubs and, and uh, what type of, what their analysis was about those those other clubs. But for the Burnley Spurs game, I was blown away by how bad the coverage was, how bad the analysis was post-match 
where it was literally they, they went for in for about ten minutes. Out of those ten minutes, uh, post match, uh, nine minutes and fifty five seconds were about Spurs. Five seconds was about Burnley, and the five seconds we got about Burnley was Rebecca Lowe saying, "Well, this is Burnley." Burnley, you mean kind of just, just, just really who hadn't lost a Premier League match? Well, now they've lost one midweek, but they hadn't lost a Premier League match in almost two months, by the way. Yeah, and they've been, they've been playing well. They, they, <laughs> they I think, uh, deserve to win that. That was their game of the season. That was the biggest game of the season for Burnley. And, and yes, there's not a lot of Burnley supporters in the United States, but but I, I don't care. I mean, to me, I, when I'm going in for a broadcast, whether it's Fox, NBC, TNT, Univision, whoever it is. I'm looking for an unbiased 50-50. Tell me about the you mean the big team, but tell me about the, about the underdog. Tell me about about why you mean what what is it about this team that that makes them an underdog? I mean what what's their the redeeming qualities? Uh, and a match like this, it was all in on Spurs about how the season was falling apart and how they're just not good enough and the same old stuff we hear over and over again and nothing, nothing about Burnley and, and I was really I, I was really appalled by it. The other thing, Kartik, just to throw this into, is that uh, I, I think in many ways, <laughs> I don't know if this is just me, but NBCSN right now it, at times seems like an infomercial uh, where they're just talking about their predict and win app. And instead of getting some analysis where you might get, say, two to three minutes of analysis, you're getting two to three minutes of an infomercial about why you should download this app and getting picks from the two Robbies about who they think will win this match, predicting this, that, and the other. At the end of the day, I think most of us probably realize, or maybe maybe most of us don't, but the Predict and Win app essentially is what they're trying to do, is try to get in as many people to subscribe to this app, to get this app on their phones. And ultimately, at the end of the day, this is going to, when legalized gambling becomes available, in uh, more states than it is now. It's what, I think, New Jersey and maybe in another state or two. But once this becomes more widespread in the United States, is that NBCSN will have a captive audience of, I don't know, hundreds of thousands of people, uh, maybe more, that have, have this app on their phones. And now it's easy to go ahead and take them from a free predict and win app to kind of using the app, but then using it to place bets. Um, to me, that's all it is, and uh, there's nothing wrong with that. That that's that's their call. I just feel, in terms of the way that they're pushing it, it just feels like an infomercial. Watching this coverage. All right, Kartik, my game of the week from this past week. Uh, looking to something more positive <laughs> was Sevilla against Barcelona. Mm. Uh, just a back and forth game. Um, High quality all the way through, exquisite goals by Barcelona. Sevilla taking the lead, thinking, okay, Sevilla's going to win this one. And then Messi, of all people, of course, uh, comes back and just blows them away. I mean, it was really kind of, it ended up being like the Messi show. And, um, you know, when, when Barcelona's on and Messi's on, on song, it's, it's, for me, it's hard to watch anything else. Uh, he, when he's at the top of his game, it's just exceptional. And uh, Sevilla put up a good fight, but uh, ultimately they were, I mean, at the end of it, uh, uh, definitely the, the second best team. The one thing, though, Kartik, I did watch uh, the Copa del Rey El Clasico on Wednesday. And this, for me, was one of the most uninspiring and least competitive Classicos, I think I've seen in a long, long time. Uh, more so in the second half. In the first half, Real Madrid has so many chances to score, and they just kind of blew their chances. And then Barcelona, with the chances in the second half, put them away. And it seemed to be the last twenty minutes, Real Madrid had had nothing, nothing in the tank uh, to go ahead and win this one. Um, but TV production-wise, I mean, any, anyone that hasn't watched La Liga much, uh, I definitely encourage you to watch it, even if you're more into the Premier League or the Bundesliga or Major League Soccer, whichever league it is. TV production-wise, I always get to see some different angles. Uh, There was one angle in this game that was, uh, I think, after Luis Suarez scored just a really close-up angle from the the side of the the goal, which is exquisite. Uh, It just really brings you in closer to the game. To me, La Liga, in terms of the television coverage, uh, especially when it's at, at a big stadium like the Bernabeu for this one, uh, is is some of the best, if not the best, in the world. Really, really good stuff. And uh, looking forward to this weekend's El Clasico. Although the Copa del Rey semi-final second leg, it, to me, it kind of left a bitter taste in my mouth. Thinking that 
I mean, is the Saturdays El Clasico going to be that amazing uh, as it usually is? This one doesn't promise to be that uh, by any means, but maybe we'll see a bounce back from Real Madrid in this one, but we'll have to wait and see. Well, Real Madrid was quite good in the first half, as you mentioned, so yeah. um, that that may set us up well. I, I, the own goal seemed to take the wind out of their sails, and that was uh, that was kind of that. Yeah, I watched a little bit of the U.S. women's team against Japan on Wednesday night, uh, JP De La Camera and Ali Wagner commentating. I enjoyed it. I watched uh, most of the second half. Great comeback by Japan. Uh, good game. You mean competitive? You mean it was it was it was a fun one to watch. Yeah, the U.S. is really missing Lindsey Horan in that midfield. Really missing her, and and I felt like uh, you had some good good uh, moments from Tobin Heath out wide, and obviously uh, up front Morgan and, and, and Press when after Press came on were very good. But the rest of the team, uh, they're missing that glue. So uh, hopefully, from the U.S. perspective, Lindsey Horan is back soon. Uh, Fox, uh, well, we'll get to Fox in the Women's World Cup in, in the new segment. Yeah. And Kartik, uh, I haven't asked you this yet, but uh, have you had a chance to watch any of uh, We Are LAFC, the new series? I have watched the, fir- the first episode. Now, I, um, I liked it. Uh, I have to say it was it was short, which is probably good when you think about trying to watch the whole series. Um, but you know, it's not an hour because I will admit I, I love the uh, Sunderland till I die and I'm braved about that. Uh, but you know, every time I started a new episode, I knew I had 47 minutes to an hour to get through. Um, and then the Manchester City and, and Juventus documentaries were just painful at times um, to wa- sit through because especially Manchester City because it was clearly club propaganda. Um, this. It seems like it's it's a behind the scenes kind of fly in the wall look. I'm a huge Bob Bradley fan. I, I think uh, um, those uh, those American soccer fans who um, have uh, ha- ha- have written him off and have uh, have really kind of mis- misrepresented, mischaracterized his his uh, managerial skill and, and coaching methods. I hope they watch this and enjoy this. Uh, but I haven't watched I haven't watched the whole series yet. I will watch the whole series by uh, the end of this weekend. Okay, great. So I, I watched the first episode. Uh, I've already got some really strong opinions about this one. I, I, I am, too, a big Bob Bradley fan and uh, have a lot of admiration for his coaching. And so, so what we'll do, Kartik, then, is I'll, I'll watch the rest of the episodes, too, as you will. And then next week we'll go into a little more in-depth about uh, our thoughts and feelings on this one. So looking forward to that Absolutely. one. Great. And uh, what about the Bundesliga coverage from Fox this past weekend, Kartik? I didn't get, get a chance to watch uh, any of it. <laughs> okay, so I think everything except for, a, uh, except for one match, um, the early Sunday match was on FS2 and, uh, or Fox Soccer Plus. And it, it just, it's, it's getting to be to the point of being uh, uh, borderline ridiculous. Now, obviously, the Friday uh, matches, and we had a Monday match with Leipzig this week. Those there, there's uh, programming availability for them to be on FS1. Although the Friday match is not always on FS1, there have been weeks uh, recently, in particular, where it's been bumped to FS2. But uh, you've got the most exciting Bundesliga title race in years. Uh, you've got a legitimate race for top four positions. Although I, I think. Uh, uh, now you're seeing maybe Eintracht and uh, and and Bayer Leverkusen, particularly following this this loss to Dortmund, maybe just just not going to catch uh, Gladbach and, and Leipzig. But there's still a race there. Um, there's obviously a relegation fight going on. There are more influential American players in the Bundesliga right now than I can remember being in any European league in uh, top European league in history. The only thing that's comparable is the Premier League from like the 2000 in three, four time period on to 2007, 2008, before we had all these uh, mainstream television options. So uh, the best era for Americans in the Premier League, the era where I would argue Americans were more influential than any non-EU country other than maybe Australia and Argentina in the Premier League, wasn't really well covered or recognized on American television. So this is a unique opportunity for Fox, given also Fox's... um, campaign of being all in right on u.s national teams men's and women's national team mls uh uh, concacaf anything related to u.s soccer uh they're they're the leading proponents of they're the leading cheerleaders of and so this is quite odd to me because there's an opportunity every week to show weston mckinney there's an opportunity every week to show tyler adams there's an opportunity every week to show josh Sargent, who started the most recent game for verter brayman uh there's an opportunity obviously to show uh fabian johnson who below the radar has had just a phenomenal year and has to be back in the U.S. men's national team picture, the way he's played for Mucin Gladbach. And obviously Pulisic when he plays, which is which is rare. But um, 
they're not taking advantage of that. I, I'm I'm a little perplexed because I thought this would be the year, actually, Chris, given the American influx to the Bundesliga and the three guys I named at the beginning, McKinney, uh, Sargent, and uh, and uh, Adams. Sargent and Adams just got there. McKinney just emerged as a, as a star player last season So uh, and wasn't in the U.S. qualifying roster. A lot of people think that was a mistake in 2017. So you would think that their interest in... Uh, airing the Bundesliga and promoting the Bundesliga would have increased as these top American players who you know they're going to be, you know the way Fox operates unless they're having a change in philosophy. We haven't seen it from their coverage of anything else. You know that their their, their, their media campaigns, everything, Chris, the next uh, five to ten years is going to be centered around the players I named, plus Pulisic. Yet, for whatever reason, that the, the, the influx of American players has led uh, – and I don't think there's a correlation, obviously. I just think it's a, a, a remarkable irony uh, has led to a lack of uh, airing of the Bundesliga uh, and promotion. And and the other last point I'll make, I know this has been kind of a ramble and you have a great article you wrote at the beginning of the month that um, maybe we'll, do, we'll update now because there's even more data points to talk about regarding the Bundesliga at WorldSoccerTalk.com. Um, Chris, the thing that that just blows my mind is the lack of consistency in how they cover this league. So there are some match days where they'll throw Lawless in the studio, they'll throw Holden in the studio, they'll they'll have Ian Joy, although now obviously he's on the, the world feed, as you talked about, and it, it's quite good. And you're thinking, okay, well, tomorrow's Bundesliga matches. I'm, I'm going to wake up early, watch the, the Bundesliga match day, and, uh, and, and, and get into this. And then the next day, you know, there's nothing. They just flick on a stream. <laughs> Or, or, or feed of, of, of the match uh, and it's on FS2 instead of FS1 and, and uh, that you don't know when you're going to get that, that studio punditry or analysis again. So they, they have their moments where they're positive, which just makes it even more frustrating because um, they're not consistent with that. It, I guess it just depends on availability of talent, availability of programming. I, I don't know. I, there's, there's no real explanation for this. There's no consistency, no rational explanation for why it's so inconsistent. Yeah, it is puzzling. I mean, the story I wrote is called uh, Discontent with Fox's Bundesliga Coverage Continues. Uh, it's on the homepage of worldsoccertalk.com. And, and this article took about two to three weeks of um, discussions, interviews, writing, rewriting, um, research, analysis to put together. And I try to make it as fair and balanced as possible. Um, I think part of it, at the end of the day, I think Fox honestly uh, means well, but is out of touch with what's going on. Um, I think that they don't understand that there is an issue. Uh, the issue to me is that it's communication. Most people don't know uh, when the studio analysis is going to be available, when they're going to be on set, if there is going to be a studio uh, presence in place. Uh, most people don't know the schedule ahead of time. Just the basics, the basic uh, information. You mentioned FS2, uh, Kartik, and, and this Friday's game, Augsburg against Borussia Dortmund. Huge game for Dortmund. This game is on FS2. Um, it's one of those things that I think a lot of fans, the, the diehard fans are still watching for sure. You mean the diehard fans, the, the BVB fans, the, the Bayern fans, the Fede Bremen, uh, and you've got a lot of Americans watching this game too. But for the, the average fan, the average diehard fan who watches soccer from around the world is probably perplexed. They probably don't know um, what's happening with, with, with Fox's Bundesliga coverage. Um, and that's part of the article, too. The article goes into more depth um, about why, why that is so, and what's happening there. Um, I had several off-the-record conversations with Fox, so I, I can't go into any, any details there about what we, what we talked about. But for me, on my side, um, I'm just, I was very frustrated. And probably the average soccer fan is very frustrated with their coverage. And I think um, that comes out in the article, too, in terms of just... Uh, I don't know. It just seems to be either Fox is doing this on purpose and it's just um, prioritizing this league very, very down, down, down the ladder. It's not really caring about this league or it's just out of touch. They just don't realize what, what's happening. Uh, it, it, it's puzzling. And it's a shame, too. Like all the things you said, Kartik, are absolutely true about you mean, the rise of the American players, uh, getting more playing time at a high level. And the, the quality of the football is, is fantastic. And at the end of the day, too, the commentary is great. We've got uh, some, some good studio analysis. That's improved. The commentating has, has improved. So the talent is doing everything that they can. They're promoting, you mean, the Bundesliga on their Twitter accounts and their personal Twitter accounts more than Fox is on, on their kind of national 
uh, public relations or national accounts. So it does not make any sense at all. All right, Kartik, let's move on to uh, TV streaming news. Yeah, b- busy, busy week this week uh, in uh, the world of, of uh, TV. The, the biggest news maybe of the week, Sky Sports News, is back on U.S. television uh, beginning uh, Friday. I mean, you guys might be listening to this Friday, a lot of you, uh, March 1st, with a daily simulcast from 11 a.m. to noon Eastern time on NBCSN. Uh, this programming slot was freed up by the Dan Patrick Show ending its run on NBC uh, on on Thursday, February 28th. So back on U.S. television, which uh, uh, it's the first time, I believe, Chris, since 2013, right? Fox Soccer Channel um, yep. used to show Sky Sports News. So that's good news for those of you that like Sky Sports News. I'm, I'm excited about it because it'll give us uh, some updates on uh, on what's happening in, in football from a, from a British perspective. Uh, my only concern, Chris, is that as you talk about NBC studio coverage, it maybe is beginning to become more Sky-like. I had hoped it would be the other way around, where Sky would become more NBC-like. So let's hope that uh, uh, they don't necessarily rub off on each other the way that it seems they may. I think they may. I think I think that uh, the way it looks like, where Sky Sports is the same type of thing too, very focused on, on the big teams, uh, very trying to make the, uh, the Premier League look... Um, you mean the, the Manchester Uniteds, the Liverpools, the Man Cities, the Chelseas, the Arsenal, and the Spurs? Very top six driven. Um, I think that's going to re- that's probably already rubbed off on NBCSN as far as a way to to generate higher t- TV ratings. And uh, yeah, okay. So n- next up, Kartik in news is that um, for fans of Brazilian soccer in the United States, there's a new streaming service that's launching in, in probably any day now. It's called FanFoot. And they've acquired the global rights to the Campeonato Brasileiro Serie A, so the Brazilian top league, um, club club league in Brazil. The streaming service will launch uh, any day now, and it's which means at the end of the day is that the games will no longer be on Gold TV in the United States. So it's another loss for Gold TV. Uh, Gold TV does still have the uh, Primera Primera Liga from uh, Portugal as well as uh, the KNVB Cup from, from Holland. And I think they still have some of the South American leagues too, um, but not a lot. And they've lost the Brazilian uh, rights, which is probably one of the top ones that they had previously. Kartik, uh, this move over across the pond to the United Kingdom and some big news for uh, ITV and, and La Liga. Yeah, some huge news, actually, and a lot of excitement from uh, my UK colleagues about this. So it looks like, uh, uh, well, not looks like, because the deal already began last week. ITV and La Liga have reached a deal, uh, free-to-air La Liga on television in the in the UK uh, for the remainder of this season. Uh, now, uh, you have to remember something, and, and this is uh, uh, this got brought back up uh, to me with the FA Cup uh, fifth round this past week, that there was no free-to-air uh, Premier League coverage in the United Kingdom. So there are some people who were really excited about the FA Cup because they got to see games uh, on terrestrial uh, free-to-air television. Now La Liga is moving into that space. Quite, quite a surprise. La Liga had been on Sky, then moved to 11 Sports, which has had all kinds of problems, uh, and that was uh, streaming only. Now, um, seemingly in a big move. In the UK market, uh, but it's only for the remainder of this season right now. But uh, a move to ITV, which uh, uh, is going to be very interesting to see how that plays out. Yeah, and, and I believe it's uh, one game a week, kind of a, a game of the week, uh, usually probably on Saturdays. But um, but yeah, great idea there by La Liga and ITV. Now moving on to uh, cord cutting, uh, nine hundred and eighty-five thousand more subscribers cut cable and satellite TV service than added it in the fourth quarter of two thousand eighteen which is a new record and more bad news for cable. Uh, The total number of pay TV subscribers has dropped 4.1% from a year earlier, the highest rate of decline since the trend of cord cutting emerged in 2010. So uh, the trend keeps on moving in the same direction. More and more people um, getting rid of the cable or satellite services, and many of them, not all of them, the cut, uh, go ahead and then uh, subscribe to a streaming service. Nakartik, uh, some huge news that came out this week, uh, following up on last week's news about uh, 
about uh, Carlos Cordero, the USSF uh, president, uh, mentioning that perhaps um, the Gold Cup uh, was going to be no more. And uh, he, f- he followed through this week on some additional news. Yeah, the United States is, uh, is saying that they want to host a, uh, a, an invitational tournament, essentially, in 2020, which uh, is uh, odd under international FIFA rules. But, hey, I mean, it seems like FIFA uh, uh, allows the U.S. to bend the rules a lot, so maybe this is nothing new. Uh, it would be a 16-20 to 20 team tournament. Chris, uh, with uh, all 10 South American CONMEBOL nations and 6 to 10 CONCACAF nations, CONCACAF has already gone on record uh, later that night. This, this was released Tuesday uh, afternoon, Tuesday night. Um, they've gone on record saying that they uh, they support this and uh, et cetera, et cetera. I have a laundry list of concerns about this thing. I think people who follow me on Twitter have already seen them. Uh, and um, you know, if you want to discuss it a little more, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to. If, if people want to discuss it with me, uh, uh, at me at Twitter at KKFLA seven three seven, but I um, I'm not a fan. I, I'm skeptical. I, I will have to be brought around on this concept. Yeah. So Concacaf in their statement uh, after this was announced. Uh one part of the statement, which is interesting, it says, we view this opportunity positively as it is not intended to replace or substitute any future editions of the CONCACAF World Cup, uh, Gold Cup, and it complements our vision to continue providing opportunities for our member associations to play competitive football at the highest level. So coming on the news last week that we talked about with Codero mentioning that um, – that this possibility of maybe no uh, Gold Cups in the future. CONCACAF came right out after that one and said uh, that's not true, that we have uh, Gold Cups planned uh, throughout the, you mean, the, the 2020s. Um, now this news this week about the possible tournament in 2020, which makes sense in some ways, Kartik, and it makes sense the U.S., well, two things. One is looking for... Um, at the end of the day, a cash grab. They're looking for a way to generate revenue. They're looking for a way to. They know that. Um, I mean, it's going to be a long time between um, the next World Cup. Uh, here's an opportunity to go ahead and host a, a, a tournament in the United States uh, to help uh, in terms of their the bank balances. Have some of the top teams from. You mean from Brazil, Argentina, you mean Uruguay, Colombia, etc. And this is an opportunity really to kind of almost do a mini Copa America, kind of a Copa America centenario and host it in the United States. So the Copa America centenario was a huge uh, boost uh, for the U.S. Uh, for U.S. soccer in terms of the revenue generated from this one. Most of it was from really sky-high ticket prices. The ticket prices were through the roof for this tournament. A lot of U.S. fans complained. Uh, but the the people from you mean uh, there are Americans that are from originally from Uruguay or Argentina, Brazil, South America, etc. Bought tickets by the dozens in this one. So so one is a cash grab. Two, it's it's an opportunity for the U.S. to play in a meaningful, well, relatively meaningful tournament. It's definitely against meaningful competition for sure at a high level and play them in the United States and get some experience there and try to help improve the team. So that that I understand. Um, rather than playing kind of one-off friendlies here, there, and everywhere. Um, I just think at the end of the day, Kartik, is that uh, this is another message. This is almost uh, USSF saying, hey, CONCACAF, um, we're we're running the show here. Uh, Who needs CONCACAF when the USSF is circumventing the confederation? It's, It's the U.S. Soccer Federation that is really pushing the agenda Going fast forward here, trying to make some big changes, uh, looking at the Gold Cup and saying, "Okay, well, do we really need the Gold Cup? We need we need something better um, against stronger competition. Let's go ahead and, and have this competition. We'll host it ourselves. We don't need Concacaf. So if I'm Concacaf, I'm worried. I'm thinking to myself, here's an opportunity here where we're not involved in in, in the conversation. Uh, CONCACAF issuing these press statements or after the fact, it's reactive. It's almost like they're caught blindsided by U.S. soccer. Um, so from Carlos Codero's point of view, as a business person, as somebody that's trying to really aggressively reestablish the U.S. Soccer Federation and try to improve their finances, try to improve, improve their, their playing squads and the, you know, that, the level of that playing squads, uh, he's making some big, bold moves. Kartik, uh, agree or, or disagree? Yeah, I agree. It's a big, bold move for the U.S. I do have some concerns. Uh, first off, everything you've said about CONCACAF, accurate. I think uh, Soccer United Marketing, which now 
markets, CONCACAF competitions, has been able to get away with uh, uh, with CONCACAF approval, uh, having a tournament, a, a club tournament that only involves American and Mexican teams or MLS and Mexican teams uh, and that runs concurrent with the, uh, the, the group stage of the CONCACAF Champions League or, or the early stages of the CONCACAF Champions League beginning this year. So once that precedent was set, CONCACAF was going to roll over because they have Soccer United Marketing as their marketing partner, and uh, they're making money from all this stuff. The South American countries will make money from all this stuff. This is where U.S. soccer has decided to invest its its surplus rather than in grassroots uh, soccer, rather in, than in giving scholarships to aspiring young players, rather than in improving the accessibility for the women's game, rather than any number of things they could have done, they've decided to essentially buy off uh, other federations so they can host another tournament. Um, then on the playing side, Chris, I, the U.S. is going to have, and the other CONCACAF nations that participate in this, are going to have three successive summers of uh, tournament football uh, and qualifying for the 2022 World Cup sandwiched in between all of this. Um, we saw, now maybe there isn't a direct correlation, but we only have one data point, so I have to throw this out here. We saw after the U.S. made the decision to bring in their A squad for the knockout stage of the Gold Cup in 2017 after having played in the Gold Cup in 2015, the um, 2016 uh, uh, Copa America Centenario, the, uh, the, the, uh, 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 the second round of CONCACAF qualifying, and then the Hex. The last four matches, the U.S., other than that match in Orlando against Panama, they were dead. Uh, and not only dead in the, in, in, from a playing sense, there was less uh, uh, emotional urgency. There was less uh, impetus to, to get forward um, in those last four qualifiers. They missed the World Cup. Um, some people have speculated that South American countries, this impacted them in the World Cup also because they have 18 uh, qualifiers home and, home and away. It's not like Europe where you have, you know, you, you, you avoid people in qualifying. You have to play everybody and you have to play everybody twice. And then they had two Copa America tournaments in this four-year cycle. They get to the World Cup, their, their, their uh, national team struggle compared to relative to expectations. So there isn't – you can't just keep adding games and tournaments to the calendar without it impacting the football. Now, I get the U.S. wants better matches. Certainly playing uh, Uruguay or Brazil is better than playing Panama or Honduras, at least on paper. Um, but there is a, a downside to it also from a football standpoint. And I think, once again, money and the possibility of generating revenue and controlling uh, this stuff has uh, has uh, ruled the day with CONCACAF. I mean, I, I can only imagine what would happen in UEFA if Italy decided they're going to have an invitational tournament. And, you know, we'll invite some countries from South America and Asia uh, hosted in Italy. Uh, and we'll have a, a, you know, we only want the Netherlands, uh, England, Spain, France coming. We don't want Croatia or, or Russia. We don't want an open qualifying for this tournament. Because this is another thing. By sticking it where you are in the calendar, Chris, they cannot have a proper qualifying tournament for this thing. So it is an invitational. And I just don't know how you have invitational tournaments in the in the framework of international football. But it, it appears like that's uh, that's what they're going to do, and they're they're going to they're going to get away with it. Don't think FIFA or Come the Ball is going to push back. Uh, it, that's just the way it is now. Yeah, uh, the U.S. has a lot of power within FIFA. The U.S. has more power within FIFA than any European federation. I know people have argued with me about the power of UEFA. UEFA right now in this Infantino era does not have the power they did even under Blatter. And Infantino formerly head, was the head of UEFA. So um, this train's left the station. This thing's well, going to happen. I just hope it doesn't adversely affect uh, the, the teams participating. Well, Kartik, you raise a great point in terms of UEFA. If UEFA had, uh, say, they were the ones who were announcing a 16-nation uh, tournament in the summertime uh, in 2020 with you mean, some clubs from, from Europe, but also I mean, some teams from Europe, some, uh, national teams, as well as many teams from South America, you can guarantee, you can guarantee within 24 hours you would have the PFA – which is the, the the professional footballers association, the the the, the actual players union essentially, uh, as well as the Premier League, coming out with strong statements, criticizing something like this, saying that in terms of uh, players' uh, time, in terms of needing time to rest and and and, and restore the bodies and and uh, playing too much is is a concern. This with Conca well, this is not even Concacaf. This is USSF. So USSF, you're not going to have Major League Soccer coming out with a statement saying, "Okay, no, 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 we're against this." And at the same time, 
the players' union within uh, Major League Soccer, to me, is very weak. They, 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 they don't have a strong uh, foundation, a strong footing. Um, it's very rare that they come out with any strong statements. So it's, I, I think, I'm, I'm sure USSF knows this, knows that they have the, the runway to get away with a lot of things, more so than in other uh, parts of the world. Now, Kartik, moving on to the last uh, item in our news segment, and this is a big one. This is probably the biggest news from the week. Uh, it's just that uh, there's been so much news to talk about, um, and this one came in late on Wednesday. And that is, is that Fox Sports has announced the TV schedule for the Women's World Cup uh, this summer, which is going to be in France. Out of the games, there's 52 games. 22 of them is gonna, are going to be on Fox, on the big Fox over-the-air network. Uh, 27 on FS1. And just three on FS2. And, and the, the three that are on FS2, I believe part of that is uh, due to uh, the US Open golf tournament. Uh, JP Della Camera and Ali Wagner are going to be leading the Foxes uh, Women's World Cup uh, commentary. Um, all At the end of the day, Kartik, this is all good news. Uh, what's, your, what's your take on it? The commitment is remarkable, Chris. I mean, the 22 matches on regular Fox over the air, uh, that's all over 40% of the matches. And, and then the FS1 uh, matches as well. And the number of bumper programs they're going to have, they're going to have two bumper programs uh, that air every night. In addition to the Twitter program, Twitter exclusive program, which I uh, I suppose will be like the one at the World Cup hosted by Rachel Benetta, be a little bit different of a uh, of a feel. Uh, but, yeah, I, I'm impressed by their coverage plans. Uh, they're all in on this. Uh, it, it, it is going to be interesting, though, if the United States gets bumped in the quarterfinals or the semifinals, how they handle things, uh, because there is a distinct possibility of that happening. It's also very possible. It's just as possible the U.S. wins the tournament and, and, and rips right through. But um, I get the sense from talking to people, although we had this issue four years ago going into the World Cup in Canada where people felt like the U.S. was about to enter a dip. Uh, it didn't happen at that point. Uh, now the conversation is even a little louder about that. So. Um, let's see how Fox handles it if the U.S. doesn't quite make it um, as far as everybody's hoping they make it in this tournament. All right, let's move on to TV ratings. Uh, From this past week, uh, some big numbers. All of the numbers you'll be able to find at worldsoccertalk.com on the homepage there. But uh, some of the big numbers that came out from this past week was uh, 1 million viewers for Pachuca against uh, Chivas on Univision and uh, Univision Deportes Network last weekend. The Manchester United Liverpool Northwest Derby had 950,000 viewers on NBCSN plus uh, Telemundo uh, from Sunday morning. Uh, Leicester against Crystal Palace, 717,000 viewers uh, on Saturday on NBC. Uh, then we had some of the uh, the Champions League matches from last week, and that was uh, Liverpool against Bayern Munich on the, the Tuesday broadcast on TNT had 414,000 viewers, while the Atleti against Juventus game uh, last Wednesday on TNT had 381,000 viewers. Uh, all in all, uh, some good numbers uh, overall, would you say, Kartik? Very good numbers. I, I thought that um, the the Leicester Crystal Palace number uh, was was really high. I mean, those yeah. numbers for those uh, NBC over the air matches that don't include top six teams usually are in the five hundreds or six hundred thousand range. So that that was quite good. And uh, obviously, TNT is beginning to find some form in terms of ratings with Champions League in the um, in the in the knockout stages now. Of course, the matches that they found their form with have included Manchester United and Liverpool, but still uh, much better than the group stage matches with those two uh, clubs. So uh, that's good news for TNT. Yeah, and next week it's uh, back to the Champions League and uh, the match on Tuesday, I believe believe it's Tuesday, is going to be a choice of Real Madrid uh, against Ajax or uh, Dortmund against uh, Tottenham Hotspur. And, and TNT, the last couple months, last few months, have gone mostly with Premier League teams, uh, showing that on TNT Live. But uh, on Tuesday, it's going to be uh, both Real Madrid and Ajax, both on uh, Univision Deportes Network and TNT. And uh, the Dortmund against uh, Spurs game will be on Galavision. If you, want, if you want to watch that live on television, it's not going to be on TNT. Moving on to listener mailbag, uh, we've got uh, first up is Martin Mulcahy. He says, uh, on Saturday, Fox had a weather cancellation of NASCAR, so they showed a replay of old events of NASCAR instead of switching to any live sporting event. 
I think most fans want some kind of uh, certitude about their sport on TV. I switch on Fox Deporters before FS1 now for the Bundesliga. Just no consistency. Finally got a title race to uh, interest the fans of other leagues. And Fox takes two weeks off their main sports channel, FS1, which could have been used to build the storyline around it. Yeah, and that goes uh, with a lot of the things we, we just mentioned in the first part of the podcast, as well as in the article itself uh, on worldsoccertalk.com. Alexander says, uh, where do you get your updates on the soccer streaming rights for DAZN? I really like the service and I want to patronize it, but it's difficult to know uh, when they acquire new, new rights and when and how those rights will be utilized. All league matches, just some matches just highlights the matches, etc. Right now, they only seem, uh, seem to show popular games or teams with ex-UEFA or ex-MLS players on them. So, Alex, uh, or Alexander, to answer your question, um, I'm getting the information directly from DAZN. Uh, I don't have a subscription to, to DAZN, so I, I actually haven't had a chance to go in and see uh, what games specifically they're showing, if they're showing everything or just a selection uh, what I do know is that I believe it's um, most of the league matches, and uh, I hope that helps. So if you do have any additional questions, let me know, and I'll be happy to help. Next up is Original Tom. He says, thank you for the podcast. I watched some CONCACAF Champions League on last Thursday. The webpage on Yahoo Sports worked great. Good picture and commentary when I had the volume on. I tried to get the Yahoo app on my old Apple TV and Roku to show the games, but they were not listed anywhere on the app. Uh, the problem with the webpage is you have to watch it on your computer or hook your computer up to a TV. I wish Yahoo would load the games onto the streaming page. I really like the CONCACAF Champions League. It is, it is entertaining, and I love the unique locations and conditions. To clarify, I get the Yahoo app on the Roku and Apple TV, but the app doesn't have the, the, the games on it. The only soccer stuff on the app is old. For instance, World Cup predictions were on it. Yeah, and Kartik, I haven't had a chance to watch uh, any of the CONCACAF Champions League uh, these last couple of weeks, but um, hopefully Yahoo Sports is listening to the feedback and hopefully we'll make some improvements to, um, I mean, they have the rights to the games, so make it as easy as possible to, to show those to, uh, to the um, subscribers or people that w- want to watch it. Just a note, uh, Yahoo's picking up a lot of uh, soccer streaming properties, so I think it's a work in progress and they will improve it. I don't have any uh, – no one has told me that from Yahoo. I'm just making that assumption because in the last three weeks, I would say, three or four weeks, they've, they've picked up a whole host of things. Uh, and so uh, I think that there's probably a process in this where they will improve the way they, the, the interface is, is, the accessibility, et cetera. And then last but not least, uh, Anthony Bello, uh, he says, Hi guys, I, once, uh, I was out on Sunday and I didn't get to watch the League Cup final until 6 o'clock. I saw the match, saw the craziness when the match ended. I didn't, use the, uh, I didn't see the trophy presentation, instead opting to go to ESPN FC. But from what I recall, when I turned on the match, there was no ESPN FC on the page. So I guess my questions are, what time did the League Cup end? which would have been uh, started at 11.30, would have been over by about, probably with penalty kicks, but about 2 o'clock, Kartik? Uh, yeah, that was about right. Yeah, okay, no, so, I, it was actually maybe about 2.15 even. Okay. Uh, and then uh, Anthony continues, this, what time is ESPN FC available for viewing on Sunday night? Uh, which, Kartik, 7-ish, 6 o'clock-ish? It was... It was yeah, I didn't see it till about eight o'clock. Actually, eight o'clock. It pop up, and then I watched it around ten. Okay, and he says, uh, "Don't you guys find it weird that a bizarre incident happened in a big match, and there is no analysis of it anywhere on television or online for about three hours?" And he goes on to say, "I mean, in every other sport after a big game, there is some way you can turn to. This is one of the pitfalls of going online only and using the world feed." Please, ESPN, if you're listening, how many more subscribers to ESPN Plus do you need? Put the games on television. Or at least if you're going to put these cups behind a paywall, don't give us a bare-bones product. Give us a product worthy of ESPN. So, so, so good, good comments there from Anthony. I think, I think part of the issue with the ESPN FC is that, yes, the League Cup final ended about, say, 2.15 Eastern time. Um, but there were other games on in that day. There was um, La Liga games on. I, th- I think Real Madrid played... At 2.45, that wouldn't be over to about 4.45. Uh, then you bring the, the guys into the studio and then you go ahead and tape it and get it ready. So it's, it's um, yeah, there's going to be a gap because, you mean, they're, they're trying to cover all the games from that day and all the talking points. 
that's one. Two is that um, while that was a big game, the League Cup game, League Cup final was a big game. Um, there isn't a lot of outlets that would be interested in showing that instance. So maybe Sports Center, maybe if you're lucky, they would probably not. Um, now, to me, to me at least, for me, it would be more about going to YouTube or going to social media and just reading or watching some videos of some some of the feedback. Um, the reality is is that yes, ESPN Plus is behind a paywall. Um, the League Cup final is a big deal, but it's not the biggest deal in the world. And even it, when something big like this happens, to me, it's, uh, it's, it's straight to social media. It's straight to the websites. It's straight to, you mean, the, the, that's where you're going to get kind of the clips and you're going to get the discussion and analysis. Uh, it's, it's, not a, it's not a TV thing. Now, if we were in England, yes, there would be, well, even in England, no. Right, Kartik? We probably yeah, would have to I wait mean- till match of the day. At the end well, of the night. I, yeah, yeah. I mean, I was disappointed. I agree with Anthony. I mean, there's no cover. The wraparound coverage from ESPN was non-existent. I thought they would have especially ESPN FC. Then do another one Sunday night, right? Because obviously you're right. La Liga, there was, some, there was a late Serie A match as well that they needed to cover. Uh, the, the Dortmund match. As it turns out, the Dortmund match ended before the League Cup final because uh, uh, they, even though that started later, they, uh, uh, they, they didn't have extra time, obviously, in penalty kicks. And, and the extended extra time because this Kepa incident – I uh, added three or four minutes of stoppage time on top of uh, the, the 30 minutes of extra time or the, the, the second 15 minute stanza. Yeah, I was disappointed by ESPN's coverage. Uh, I had to wait till ESPN FC later that night for some analysis. And then the Guardian podcast, which I listened to uh, pretty faithfully with Max Rushton and, and company, uh, which didn't come out until midday Monday our time. So late Monday UK time. I mean, those are my kind of go-tos and yeah I, I was frustrated too that we had to wait but i guess you're right chris social media fills the bill now so that's probably what we should have all done the other part of this though too kartik is that i know with the premier league for example is that uh, after a game ends uh there's a window of time where say mobile has the exclusive rights to basically be able to show highlights from a game so this is the Premier League, not 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 the League Cup final. But um, then, after a certain period of time, then the the websites, so the rights owners, such as NBC Sports, uh, such as which, whichever rights holders around the world that have the Premier League, have a window of time where then then they can go ahead and post highlights from the videos. Uh, in the UK, it's one of those things that if Sky Sports News. Uh, doesn't have the rights to to some of the blocks of, of games is that they're not allowed to show highlights until after match of the day, which airs later that night. Match of the day on the BBC has the television highlight, highlights uh, ex- exclusive rights. And then after match of the day, then the following day, then then Sky Sports News can, can show clips of those games. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of things involved here, Anthony, and it is complicated because it is one of those things that you as a viewer, you as a soccer fan, you want to get instant reaction, instant kind of analysis, and that's what ESPN is missing right now on ESPN Plus, and and hopefully that will come uh, over time. They have the staff, they have the resources. It's just a matter of, of commitment to actually making it happen. And for me, ESPN FC at the end of the night would be the place for that. So they want to make sure that they don't uh, undermine that. Um, I mean, the, the benefits and you mean the great things about ESPN FC, but that does not come on until later that night. So, yeah, great points, Anthony. Um, much appreciated. And listeners, if you have any questions, if you have any uh, things that you want to get off your chest or any tips that you have for us um, or any rants or raves you agree or disagree with anything we've, we've said, uh, or if you want to uh, share, share any opinions, let us know. You can always reach us through email, uh, which is uh, through at, uh, web at worldsoccertalk.com, as well as facebook.com slash worldsoccertalk, and on Twitter at worldsoccertalk. Plus, of course, you can always post the comments on worldsoccertalk.com, the website that started this all. So, Kartik, uh, thanks uh, for listening and uh, thanks for being on the show. Uh, you can get a new episode, listeners, of the World Soccer Talk podcast every Thursday. Every episode is released on SoundCloud, Spotify, YouTube, Stitcher, iTunes, TuneIn, AudioBoom, and WorldSoccerTalk.com. I haven't tested it yet, but uh, I think also World Soccer Talk is on Siri. So you can go ahead and tell uh, Siri to go ahead and play World Soccer Talk and it should come up. Uh, if you like the show, share it with your friends on social media and give us a review on iTunes. In Kartik, going into another big week, 
We've got the uh, the North London Derby. We've got the Merseyside Derby. We've got the return of Major League Soccer. We've got El Clasico. We've got uh, Porto against Benfica in Portugal. And many, many other big matches from around the world. Uh, what should they do? And more she believes also, by the way, for the next week. Enjoy your football. <laughs>